So, what we want to do this morning, talking about shame, talking about how the cross defeats shame, the power of shame. Uh, anytime I get a chance to use uh, some song lyrics, I, I like to do that. Um, I, my brain usually thinks in song lyrics. So I want just, it, it's just audio. It's a clip uh, from the Avid Brothers. I've played some of their music before. Uh, and it's a song called Shame, uh, appropriately titled. It's just like the last 50 seconds of the song. So uh, take a listen to this. Somebody's helping hand I used to say Just let them fall It wouldn't bother me at all I couldn't help them Now I can Beautiful, right? Shame, boatloads of shame Day after day, more of the same Blame, please lift it off Um Shame is this, this experience that is common to just every human being, that we, we experience uh, this sense of, uh, of, of shame. And I'll, in just a couple of seconds, I'm going to talk about like, the definition of shame. But before that, we just want to like, just share like, some stories, because like, we know what shame feels like. I mean, we, we, we've, we felt it deep inside of us. And, and it, shame exists on a continuum of like these little embarrassing things that happen that bring us a small degree of shame and then really massive things that just leave us sort of swimming in shame. Um, for example, how many of you, we could tell embarrassing stories all day, right? I mean, how many of you have been like singing with your friends in the car and uh, you're just like, you're just singing carpool karaoke, right? And all of a sudden your friend stops the music and says, what did you just say? And you realize, like, well, I, I, said, I said this. And they're like, those aren't the right song lyrics. And you realize that you've been singing these ridiculous song lyrics at the top of your lungs for your whole life. And it's like, okay, well, that's like, there's a little bit of shame in that, um, depending how big the group is. Um, how many of you have ever been in public and somebody has leaned over and has said, um, hey, your fly's open? Like, <laughs> like slight wardrobe malfunction, you know? Like, it's embarrassing. It's like one of the last things I tell, like, the groom and the groomsmen as they walk out on a, at a wedding, like, check your zippers, everybody. Um, <clears throat> it's a very, just it's a holy moment. You got to make sure things are covered. Uh, how many, how, okay, so here's a, here's a deal. Let's say um, you walk out of the bathroom and um, you're at home, right? You walk out of the bathroom and you walk across the living room and you walk to the couch and you sit down and you realize, you look down and you have toilet paper stuck to the bottom of your shoe. You're at home. There's nobody else around. What do you feel? Nothing, really. What do you do? You just sort of clean it up, maybe wash your hands, throw it away, right? Um, and, and move on. Not a big deal. Now, let's say this happened this morning, here. And it happened in the bathroom, and you walked your happy little self across the, you know, fellowship center, and you got your coffee, shaking hands. Hey, how's it going? And you walk in here, and you walk all the way to the front, and you sit down, and you sit down, and you realize you have toilet paper hanging off your shoe. How do you feel now? 
shame, right? Boatloads of shame. What's the difference between you experiencing this at home and you experiencing this here on Sunday morning? It's people. See, here's the interesting thing about shame is it's always relational. Shame is always like thinking about how other people are perceiving us. And, and shame is a sense that says, like, I'm, I've lost some value in the eyes of other people. They're judging me, they're looking at me, they're laughing at me, and so I feel embarrassed, I feel shame. So these are like little things, right? These are embarrassing things. But then, like, on the other end of the continuum, there are these massive things um, that leave us feeling shame. Uh, I, I have shame, as I look back this week, as I've just been kind of been, been living with this, praying about it, I realize that I have these moments as I look back on my life, and some of the things I, I have felt most ashamed of were the ways that I treated other people that were just unkind. That these moments, things I said to people, ways I treated people, where I was not honoring the dignity that they were given by Christ. I was not treating this person like they were created in God's image and have unsurpassable worth. I, I, I treated them really poorly. And I f- feel shame about that. And in fact, I've had these moments, sometimes even years later, where like, you know, the Spirit brings this thing to mind, and, and you just, you, you go back and you say, you know what, I don't know if you think about this thing at all, but I do, and I just want to let you know that I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry for the words I said. I'm sorry for what I did. And, and I would ask, could you forgive me? Um, so maybe we have those moments, like, where we just, like, we feel shame of the ways we treated other people. Um, uh, we feel shame when we confess sin. Like, shame and vulnerability are always, like, they go hand in hand. And so, like, again, have had these moments where it's like I have an accountability group, right? So I have this group of, of men that I meet with, um, you know, every month, and we get together and have breakfast. And it's just a, a place where you get to be vulnerable. You get to be open. And, uh, and yeah, there have been times over the years where I've just said, hey, I have to just, like, sort of confess this sin in my life. And it's there, and it's, um, I, I, I'm not, like, telling anybody about it, but I need to bring it out in the open because if I don't, it's going to control me. And there's a, vulner- there's a shame that you feel in that moment of how are these people going to respond? Like, are they going to turn their backs on me when they, when they know what's really happening inside my heart and my mind? And, and so shame, it comes to us in all sorts of different ways. Um, but it, it's something that we all experience. Um, social media ha- has amped up shaming um, in, in unbelievable ways. Because what social media does is it gives us a platform to say things about a person that we really wouldn't ever say to their face and to just broadcast it over to the rest of the world. Um, Here's a public example of this. Um, Fergie singing the national anthem at the All-Star game, the NBA All-Star game, right? So was it a great performance? No. No, it wasn't a great performance. But what happened on social media was she just got demoralized. I mean, people picked her apart and, and like, and, and, okay, so we say like, oh, these are celebrities. They can take it. They're, they're human beings before they're celebrities. And, and to see the ways, like, you just end up feeling like so, so bad for this person. And social media, it, it becomes like this place where our, like, our conscience, our, our sense of like, honoring the dignity of another person, that's stripped away and we just sort of like see them as an object we can throw stones at. And so maybe some of you have experienced this in groups you are a part of. Shame. Here's the definition that we'll work with. Shame is this sense, this belief that I am flawed and I'm not worthy of belonging. 
You say, what is shame? Shame is this belief that I am flawed and I am unworthy of belonging. And shame is different than guilt. Uh, guilt, you can identify and you can say, I did something wrong. And, and guilt is a really helpful thing to feel. In fact, the only people who can't feel guilt are sociopaths. They're not capable of feeling guilty for their actions. So guilt is this God-given thing we feel from our conscience that keeps us, you know, sort of like, it's like a dashboard light that goes on that says, hey, you know, this path over here is going to be hurtful to you and other people. It's actually sinful, and it's going to lead to a lot of pain and brokenness and destruction. And guilt can lead us, you know, back to the path that leads us toward Christ. So guilt is a good thing, although we talked about last week, once we've surrendered our sins, we've confessed sins, we've, we've, you know, surrendered our lives to Jesus, guilt doesn't have to define us anymore. That Jesus forgives the guilt of our sin, and so we can, we can allow him to deal with it and take it away from us. But shame is not, I did something wrong, shame is I am something wrong. I am broken, I am flawed, it's who I am. Shame becomes the story we tell to ourselves about ourselves. I'm such a loser. Man, I'm so stupid. I'll never do anything right. It is my identity. While guilt is like local, shame is, it, it is universal. It's global. It, it takes over. And so um, in order to kind of illustrate this and how it works, I would love to have a couple of volunteers. Um, and I promise, we're talking about shame. I promise I will not embarrass you. Um, but um, much. So um, if, if we could have like five or six volunteers to, to just jump up and kind of illustrate how this works, I think it'll be super, super helpful in making this point. So you guys can just come on up. Um, five, six people. And Dina, there we go. Charlie. Two, any more? A couple more? Five, six. <laughs> we got a nomination. Okay, we got four, five. One more? Come on up. Okay, everybody come on up. Yep, come on up. Are you coming, Larry? No? Two, four, five. All right. Come on up. Um, okay, so what we want to do is, is this kind of illustrate. This, this is perfect. Thank you. Give them a hand, would you? This is the courage. So who wants to volunteer to be the one who kind of feels shame? Anybody want to volunteer for that role? I promise I won't, like, embarrass you. So, Andina. All right. Thank you, Andina. So, the rest of you, you guys can come right here. And what I want you to do, actually, all five of you, come right here and just form a circle. And you can kind of link arms. You don't have to be, like, super close, um, awkwardly close. But, yeah, form, form a circle like that. Okay. So, they have this, this group experience. They're, they have a relationship, whatever this looks like. Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's a group in the church or just a group of friends, social group. But they're connected to each other. Um, all of a sudden, Andina, though, she has some experience in her life that leaves her feeling this boatload of shame. And shame is this belief, I am flawed, and I'm not worthy to belong. So what does Andina do? She disconnects from the group, and she comes over here, and she turns her back to the group. This is what shame does. Shame leads us to say, like, I don't deserve to belong with this group, so I'm just going to sort of isolate myself. And shame loves to just take us off and to sit, like, in a dark corner and, you know, listen to country music or whatever it is to just, like, um, you know, we just, like, we want something that just is going to feed this sense of shame. That's what, that's what shame does. It, it's this disconnection from the group. And so what happens sometimes is that the group says, well, like, okay, Andina's not here anymore. So they just sort of close the circle back up, and they sort of go on their, go on their way. So she, she's, she's left. 
sort of all alone, and it becomes this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, right? I don't feel like I'm worthy of belonging, and I don't belong anymore, so I'm just going to go with it. Now, there's another way this works. So you guys can open the circle back up. Um, so Andina's part of the group, but all of a sudden, something, Andina does something, like there, there's some sort of action or whatever, where the group decides you don't belong anymore. So what happens is Andina almost gets excluded out of the group, and she gets pushed away, uh, and they turn their backs on her. And there's like, you know, there could be finger pointing and whatever, like through, through body language, through words, through tone of voice, through messages that are sent. Like you post something on social media, and, and you don't actually, like you post about a situation, and you don't put the person's name, but the person knows you're talking about them, and everybody in the group knows you're talking about them, and people around you know you're talking about them. You know, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's, this, is, this is an act of shaming. And so Andina now has, the group is closed, their backs are turned, and she now is, is, is feeling this sense of isolation, brokenness, and shame because they have done this to her. Are we preaching yet? How many of you have felt this? And, and we've, we've been a part of both sides of this, haven't we? We've been on groups that have, have sort of just sort of closed up and gone on their way, and we've also been a part of a group that maybe have felt, made others feel shame. And we know what it feels like to be the outsider. And it's painful. And so here is where the church is called to be a radically different kind of community. Where the church is called to be a healing community. That when somebody experiences shame through whatever means it happens, the church isn't content to just say, okay, we're just going to close our arms back up and go on our way and let them fend for themselves. But what does the church do? The church actually moves. So you guys can like sort of open up and you're actually going to move toward Andina and, and surround her. And Andina has, you know, she has a, she has a choice, right? I mean, this looks like a, a mobbing or something like that. <laughs> but the church intentionally moves toward Andina to say, you belong here. This, this voice that says you don't belong and you're not worthy, it's a lie. You belong here. You are a part of us. You are forgiven. You are free of these things. Don't let shame and isolation run away with you. This is a vision for what the church is called to be, a radically different kind of healing community. Does that make sense? Can we thank them for their participation? Thank you guys very much. So, um, Brene Brown, some of you have, uh, have probably watched, like, I mean, amazing communicator, talks about shame, vulnerability. She says, like, real quickly, there are three things that make shame grow in our lives. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. When we feel broken and flawed, and we keep it to ourselves, we don't open up about it, we don't talk to anybody about it, secrecy and silence, it will grow exponentially. Or, when we do talk about it, or it's, it's discovered, and we're met with judgment, we're met with pointing fingers, we're met with, how could you? We're met with people turning their backs on us and saying, you don't belong here when there's that kind of judgment. Shame will grow exponentially. But the thing that overcomes shame, the thing that smothers shame, is empathy and grace. When somebody looks us in the eyes and says, like, you're you're forgiven. You belong here. You're restored. Shame loses its power. And that is what the church is called to be. That's what the church is called to be. So um, the, these examples in the, in the scriptures that I think are just amazing examples of, of, of people, broken, flawed people 
who had experiences that brought them shame, who it, it could have wrecked their lives. I mean, it could have been the end of their, their ministry, uh, end of their lives, and shame could have had the last word. But they experienced transformation and restoration through Christ. Two men, uh, Peter and Paul, will highlight. There, but there are lots of others. I wanted to do like Peter, Paul, and Mary Magdalene, but it didn't, um, couldn't make it work. So just Peter and Paul. Um, so Peter, right, he was a disciple. Um, Simon called Peter. And uh, Peter was bold. I mean, he was, he was bold like his coffee. He was brash. He, he was the kind of guy who, who, who said something first, said these big, bold statements, and then thought about them later. And he got himself in trouble a lot of times by doing this. <clears throat> and uh, so Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he's telling them, saying, I, I'm actually going to give my life. I'm going to be crucified, and it's going to be really difficult, but I'm going to go to the cross. It's, that's, that's the plan to save the world. And, and Peter reacts. He says, no, I'm not going to let it happen. Like, they're going to have to go through me to get to you, Jesus. Like, right, that's, that's kind of the, the translation. It's Simon the Rock, Peter. Um, that's what Peter means, the rock. Um, so he... Uh, that's his personality. And, and so he, he ends up saying, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. I'll do anything. I'll even, even to death, I'll follow you there. And Jesus, on the night uh, before he's actually crucified, he looks at Peter and he says, actually, before the sun rises, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. So Peter just starts to feel this sense of impending shame, right? So Jesus, he goes, takes his disciples uh, to the Mount of Olives and to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus knows the time is up. It's all sort of coming uh, to a point here. And he feels the weight of the world's sin, the weight of his calling on him. And it's his, it's his time of greatest need. And he goes into the garden to pray. And he asks his disciples, would you just pray with me? Just pray with me. And Jesus goes a little further and he begins to pray and pour out his heart to the Father. And he comes back. And what's Peter doing? Sleeping with the other disciples. Right? So this first moment of just like shame. I can't even, I can't even pray with, with my Lord. Um, the, the, the guards come and they come with their torches and, and they, they come to arrest Jesus and Peter, uh, Jesus is willingly going with them, but Peter like reacts, right? He's, he's bold and brash and he pulls out a sword, this big knife under his, his cloak and he takes a swing at one of the guards. And, and here's the deal. Peter has been with Jesus for three years, sitting with him, learning from his ministry, talking about how, like, how Jesus is going to lay his life down, how violence does not have a place in the kingdom of God, that Jesus' kingdom is from a radically different place, a different method in the world. But Peter still, he reacts. He pulls out his sword. He takes a swing at, the, at this, this guard, and he cuts off his ear. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, put your sword away. Put your sword away. Like, what do you, what do you think we're doing here? And he reaches up and he heals the guard's ear. Right? So again, Peter like, realized, I, I just missed it. I've blown it. And then Jesus gets, gets sort of drugged in front of the Sanhedrin, this sort of mock trial. And three times throughout the night, somebody looks at Peter and says, aren't you one of his disciples? Like, weren't you with him? I'm sure I saw you with him. And three times Peter says, no, no, no. It ain't me. It wasn't me. I don't, I don't even know the man, he says. And as he says these words, he hears the rooster crow. And he, what do you think Peter felt in this moment? Shame. It's unbelievable shame. And then so Peter, he, um, Jesus is crucified. Peter is left with his back turned. He's left sort of in this despair, in this shame. And um, the day after the Sabbath, he decides to go fishing. And so they're out fishing on the lake. Read about this in John 21. He's out fishing on the lake, and they're not doing any good. 
And then he sees this guy on the, on the beach some distance away. And, and the voice calls him and says, hey, why don't you sort of cast your nets over there? And they do, and their boat is filled with fishes. I know fishes was a word until I sang that song. Um, and so, like, G- Peter all of a sudden has this moment of clarity where he recognizes it's the Lord. Like, it's Jesus. So what does Peter do? He jumps in the water and swims to shore. So he, he gets out, he gets up on the beach, and now you imagine him. He's just sort of, like, still, like, sort of dripping with shame, and he comes to Jesus, and over the course of a meal, Jesus looks at Peter, and he asks him the question, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, Lord, I love you. And Jesus asks him again, Peter, like, do, you, do you love me? And Peter, like, you can almost start to feel like the weight of his shame, right? And he's fragile. He's vulnerable at this moment. And he says, Lord, I, I love you. You know I love you. And Jesus asks him a third time. And I always imagine this scene, it's just sort of the way I imagine it. I imagine Jesus lifting Peter's head. I imagine Peter, like, he's, he's almost beginning to, to just sort of weep. And Jesus takes him by the jaw and lifts his head and looks him in the eyes. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. And he's just sort of, he's a broken man. And Jesus looks at him and says, then feed my sheep. You have work to do, Peter. That th- this, this thing, this stuff, it doesn't define you anymore that I, I am setting you free from the shame and, and you're free to step into your calling to this ministry I have for you. It's an amazing moment. And, and Peter's failure becomes a part of the gospel story we tell, right? It's not, a, it's not a sign of his shame. It's a sign of the redeeming power of Christ. The apostle Paul's the same way. Like Paul uh, he, he, you know, was called Saul. Um, and he's like brilliant. He's zealous for his religion. And he's so sure he sees the world correctly. Right? We, we all know people like this, right? I'm so sure I'm right, and it's my job to prove to everybody else that they're wrong, and I'm right. Um, and so, this is Paul. This is the way he is, and he's brilliant. And so, he's persecuting disciples of Jesus. The first martyr, Stephen, as he's stoned to death, testifying to the goodness of Jesus, Saul is seen in the background, like sort of giving his approval to those who are stoning him. And then he goes and he's like hunting down. He's like a bounty hunter for Christians. He's, he's hunting down these disciples of Jesus and he's going to drag them back to Jerusalem and have them put on trial as heretics and, uh, and potentially have them c- killed. So on the way, in all of his certainty that he's doing God's work, he has this confrontation with the living Christ. Right? And this confrontation changes everything for him because all of a sudden now he realizes um, that everything that I have believed and I, that I believed, I'm seeing things the way they are, is actually completely wrong. That I am persecuting God's anointed and those who are following him. And so Paul has this moment where he's like blinded by the light of Christ and he hears the voice of, of Jesus saying, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And so Paul's blinded and he's blinded for three days. It says for three days and three nights. Where's Paul? He's like sort of sitting uh, somewhere in darkness, being blinded, having his whole world sort of, cr- you know, sort of crashing down around him, um, and, 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 and just sitting in this despair. And God speaks, Jesus speaks to this disciple named Ananias in the town where Paul is. And he says, Ananias, I want you to go to Saul, and I want you to speak my words of healing and forgiveness to him. So this guy Ananias, he goes to Saul, and it says he, he lays, and again, you can just sort of imagine what this scene is like. This Paul sitting there, he's a broken, fragile man. And Ananias comes to him, and he puts his hand on him, and he says these words, 
brother Saul. Brother Saul. And immediately the scales fall from his eyes. He can see and he's free to live a brand new life. Sometimes we talk about Paul's conversion, Saul's conversion happening on the road to Damascus. Saul wasn't converted on the road to Damascus. He was, convert, he, was, he was confronted by Christ, and it was the beginning of his conversion. But the conversion wasn't complete until Ananias lays his hand on him and says, Brother Saul. This is a vision for the church, to be this healing community that moves toward people who are broken, who are sitting in shame and darkness of all the ways they've missed it, and, and, and putting a hand on his shoulder and saying, you belong here. You are part of what God is doing. This, this thing in the past does not define you. And the reason the church can do this, the reason this is the kind of community we are called to be is because we believe that shame was completely taken away by Christ on the cross. That this is the only reason this happens. Um, in the bottom of your bulletin, we're just going to like, um, just put, you can put all the bullets up there uh, again of the last slide. The church is the community that is formed around Jesus. And we believe that Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, that he took shame away. Uh, he bore our shame. I, I, this is what the prophecy in Isaiah says, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53. The, it's called the suffering servant prophecy. It says Jesus, he is going to bear our shame. He's going to take our transgressions, our sins on himself. The Jesus on the cross, he bore our shame. All of our shame. That this thing that defines us, that makes us feel unworthy, like we're broken, flawed, and can't belong, Jesus actually took that away from us. By, by bearing our shame, he removed our shame. He, he took it from us. Romans 10 says, those who trust in him will never be put to shame. That Jesus removes it. He washes the shame away. He takes every one of us and he, it's like he lifts our heads and he speaks words of peace to us. He says, you are not who you used to be. You are not these things. Feed my sheep. Get on with the mission of God. Jesus on the cross, he stands with the shamed, not the shamers. The reason the cross was chosen was so powerful because of, uh, by the Roman government was because it was an instrument of incredible shame and humiliation. A person was stripped naked, was, was hung on a cross in public for people to walk by and to jeer and to mock and to throw things at and to spit on. That's how the cross worked. Incredibly shameful. And Jesus entered into all of that. They, they put a crown of thorns on his head because he had claimed to be king. They mocked him. They put a, a purple robe on him, again, mocking him. Pilate had, had the words king of the Jews put above his cross to mock him. And, and all of this mockery, all of this shame, all of this abuse that Jesus endured was actually the reason we celebrate the cross is because we believe this was actually the coronation of the king of the universe. That this is actually what God's love looks like. That he was entering into our experience of shame and bearing it for us and taking it from us and removing it. He was standing with all those who have experienced shame throughout their life. And he was defeating the powers of shame. That all the shame was put on him and he defeated it. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says he endured the cross scorning its shame. You love that? that Jesus, he, 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 for the joy that was set before him. The joy of relationship with human beings made in God's image. He endured the cross. He scorned the shame. He gave shame no value. It has no value in our lives. 
He, Jesus was honored. Philippians 2 says it's because of this, because he was willing to go to the cross. God raised him up and seated him at the right hand of the Father that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus was honored by the ascension. He honors God the Father by fulfilling all of God's promises. Jesus reforms the group. Right? Jesus now, he, he forms this group called the church. And it's the only group in the world that says there are no outsiders. There are no people that we are going to exclude. The only reason people are outside is because they choose to be outside. But the church, this one new humanity, Paul says in Ephesians 2, the reason the church is here is so that we can exist for those who feel outside. Right? Like this is why we exist, so that we can move toward outsiders, toward those who feel shame, and we can embrace them and love them in the love of Jesus. So we can tell this good news that Jesus has actually taken our shame away and offers us new life. And Jesus shares his honor with us. He gives us a brand new name. He gives us a new identity that you are not who you were. You are a child of God. You are on the inside. You are in the family of God. You are adopted into his family. The reason we feel shame in a, in a social setting that we don't feel in the privacy of our own home is because we feel like when other people see the mistakes we've made, it takes our value away. That we're worth less than we were before. And it's just a lie. You have worth that cannot be changed. Even if people try to shame you, even if people turn their backs on you, even if people exclude you, even if people, uh, those things are deeply damaging and hurtful. But the good news of Jesus is that you have worth that can't be touched by any of those things because Jesus has actually shared his honor with you and he's called you into his family. And so our invitation is to say, like, if we are feeling like shame is just sort of, you know, sort of, sort of blocking us from relationship, if there's any place where we are living in secrecy and silence because of the shame we feel. Our invitation today is to step in, to step into the light. W- what would it look like? And I, w- I would I just encourage you to do this, like to use, your, to use your imagination, to use your mind, and to see yourself like Peter. To, to, to be honest with Jesus about the shame you feel and why you feel it. And to see yourself like Peter, sort of kneeling there on the beach, And to feel the hands of Jesus lift your face and look into your eyes and set you free. Like to to just sort of, to allow Jesus to take this experience of shame away. Um, To not let secrecy and silence have its way. Uh, I I realize that for many of us, um, we've experienced things, things that have been done to us that have just left us feeling shame. And some of those things are so traumatic and so deeply hurtful that we need somebody to guide us through the experience. And so um, it, it may very well be that we need to talk to a Christian counselor, uh, somebody, somebody who just has the experience, who, who knows how to walk with us of sort of letting this shame go and allowing Christ to heal us. We have a prayer ministry called Sozo, Sozo Prayer Ministry. And Sozo just means saved, healed, and delivered. And it's an incredible tool to deal with these experiences of shame, to, to, to just say they're, they're powerless over us now. And we can walk in freedom. I would, I would love to connect you um, with, with those folks who lead that ministry. To be honest, to be vulnerable, to step in, um, to, to experience this healing community in the church. Um, but maybe 
there are people who you have your back turned to, to whom you have your back turned. Uh, there may very well be, be people who, who are coming to mind to say, you know what, if I'm really honest, I, I've, it's not the secrecy silence thing, it's the judgment. Like where they, they used to belong, used to have a relationship, but now we've sort of, we've turned our backs. And maybe not intentionally, but this person has, has, has felt something or done something or whatever, and they've pulled away, and we've just sort of let them go away. And it's not like we're like shaming them publicly, but we also don't like go of our way to talk to them. And do you know how they interpret that? You don't care, and you don't belong, and, and the shame is just intensified. Are there people that God is bringing to your mind to say, you know what, as a healing community, we actually need to embrace them. We need to move toward them. We need to, to let them know that they belong. God, um, thank you for the message of the cross, that, that all the shame, that all the shame was placed on Jesus, and he took it. And he set us free from it. Jesus, we want to, God, we want to affirm right now in this moment that shame has no power over us. And Jesus, we offer it to you. God, we, we ask that you would set us free from it. That we would hear your voice, that we would see your face, that we would, God, trust in the power of your life, of your death, of your resurrection, of your ascension to the right hand of the Father, that we place all our trust in you. We would get all of our worth from you. God, that you would then by the power of your Holy Spirit not only set us free, but make us into a healing community that exists for outsiders, that moves toward them, that embraces them with your love and grace. God, we pray this in Jesus' name.